said to me, Nsegi, you're studying winemaking. Come with me. We're going for a wine, to a winemaker seminar. When I got them, I found it's only white people. There's no women. There's only one. Actually, there was one woman registering everyone at the door. And then I was like, at least there's one woman. She finished registering everyone. She closes her book and she left. So I said to the general manager, I said, listen, I think we, I can't be here. Look, there's only, and he was like, his question was, how are you expecting this to change? Hello and welcome to The Change Exchange, where we talk about the change moments in life, how we make it happen and how we deal with it when life makes it happen. In this podcast series, Change in One Generation, we meet people in our country who are now stepping into leading roles while coming from homes where their parents did not have the opportunity to fulfill their potential through study or otherwise. In one generation, they are changing their own and often their family's environment completely. It is to be celebrated, but it often comes at a cost, which may not be as obvious. I am your host, Ruda Landman. I am joined at the microphone by Dr. Frank Magwegwe, who teaches financial wellness and personal empowerment at Gibbs in Johannesburg. And one of Frank's main areas of research is the science of change. And our guest today has a quite astonishing story. I've interviewed her before and it just left me speechless. Nsiki Biela grew up in a semi-rural area in KwaZulu-Natal. She had never tasted wine when she went to Stellenbosch University in 1998 to study winemaking. And today she has her own company, Aslina Wines, making and marketing her own wines worldwide. Welcome, Siki. So good to, to talk to you again. Thank you for having me and good afternoon and good afternoon, Dr. Frank. Good afternoon. Excited to have you. What a story we have lined up for our listeners. Indeed. And before we ask Nsiki to tell a story, please recap your wonderful formula of change, Dr. Frank, because we will be building on that throughout the conversation. Absolutely. And for me, because I want to get straight into this story, Ruda, it is simply to say and remind our listeners that human beings often find change difficult, even though we're quite adaptable. So the change formula simply says for any change to take place, three things need to be in place. Number one, the individual must be dissatisfied with the status quo, some unhappiness with what's going on in and around their lives. Number two, they need to be a vision of a future. If I embark on this change, what looks ahead for me? Finally, the individual must be able to take first steps. What is interesting about this formula is that we say D times V times F must be greater than resistant to change. Anyone of D, V and F cannot be zero because zero times anything is zero. So we look forward to unpacking the story of our guest, looking for that D, that V and that F in her story. And that's it for me, Ruda. <laughs> Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, I can hear that uh, I actually warned Frank and I asked him to keep it short. And I can hear that, the story. <laughs> yes. that he's trying very hard. Thank Thank you. <laughs> Siki, you were 
Born 78 in Matlabatini, Zululand. Grew up milking cows, I'm sure doing other things like similarly. Graduated high school, worked for a year as a domestic worker. It's that for me is always, yeah, if, you know, in the light of where you are now. And you had a number of unsuccessful grant applications and then suddenly you got a bursary, which is completely astonishing, from SAA to study uh, what are the big words? Viticulture and oenology. <laughs> Did you even know what it meant? No, actually, I didn't even know what the names meant. I had to Google. Luckily, uh, because, <laughs> because where, I was, uh, where I was working, I had access to be able to Google stuff. So I had to Google to check what is this. So, And when I saw it's like winemaking and whatnot, and I thought, oh, it's Hunter's Dry and Crossbow. So, <laughs> so that was the initial thought. Well, before I actually came to Stellenbosch and I was like, oh, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> you know, when I was looking at uh, this background information this morning, I thought it was a decision to step off the edge of your known world into the complete unknown. What, how? It, I mean, you know, Frank, on the other side of your of your equation, the R is resistance. Yes, I want to carry on with what I've always done. The is enormous. Ziki? When I think about the fear part, that's why I always say sometimes, I'm not sure if I was being naive or what, but I think when, first and foremost, for me to leave home, the village, go to the city to work as a domestic worker, that was the first part for me to say I needed to change. And that, I saw it as a stepping stone. And you do that. That's so interesting for me because I made a note here. You used to think the word um, stepping stone. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you said, you know, from the rural areas to the city to get the job as a domestic was a stepping stone. So to you, stepping stone to what? What, what was the vision? Where were you going? Because I think that's quite interesting when we think of change. It was a stepping stone to information, stepping stone to something that might open up because the cities got opportunities while villages don't have opportunities. So it was a stepping stone to the bigger world out there that I didn't know. And so when I was working as a domestic worker and I got an opportunity that they had said, the family had said, do you know what? If you want to study, we'll pay for you to study. And I applied and I got accepted. But when the scholarship came, it was now a choice. Do I stay here, but I thought, you know what, they have to pay from their own salary to help me go through university. Well, this is a scholarship, so it's free, basically. The other part of me was I needed to get a job so that I can support at home. I need money fast. And this is four years, and I'm not going to be getting any income. So, but at the same time, it was like there were so many, you know, thoughts in my mind. How did you make that choice about not earning the money immediately? Because that must, you know, that is so immediate. The the need and the 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 feeling of having to support your your family and all of that, and to choose almost against that. What what swung that for you? I actually don't know what swung. <laughs> it was. I knew that. I mean, here's the thing. I knew I wanted to study. See that I was clear with. So the other issues, they were not really the deciding factor. The deciding they factor. They were secondary. They were secondary. But I knew that first and foremost, I need to study. 
Because once I study, I can then be able to do one, two, and three. Yes, I need money now. But also with the help of saying, okay, when, um, as I said, when my mom was advising and she was saying, you know what, um, four years goes fast. And I thought, actually, you know what, this is a big opportunity. As much as I didn't know what it was, it was a big opportunity to study. It could have been anything, but it was, the word that was in my head was study. Take us back to when you you arrived. It must have been, it was what, 1998, I think. And in the 99, in the heartland of white Afrikaans farming, the agriculture department at the University of Stellenbosch. What was it like for a young black girl who didn't speak a syllable of Afrikaans? So, yeah, now that was actually, that was daunting, if I can say because I remember the guy actually who had recruited us from university, uh, from, from school, because I got all this open information from the school. So when I got to Stellenbosch, we arrived at his house. He wasn't there. And then I had to go buy bread. That was basically my first, I'm going to say my first stumbling block, really, because I needed to go buy bread. And we were still buying things over the counter. So I get to the shop. And I realize everybody speaks Afrikaans and I speak English and nobody understands what I'm saying. So I need to speak Afrikaans. So I had to first think what was bread in Afrikaans. And immediately I remembered what that was. So I just said the word and then I got the bread, I paid and I left. I wanted bread, I wanted tomatoes, I wanted other stuff, but I was like, there's just no way I'm going to be standing trying to think about something that I actually don't know. So, and I walked away. So, and I was like, this, what kind of a world is this? And then arriving on campus on my first day, I remember standing above the library and I look around, it was all white people, like all white people. They're walking past me, speaking something I could, I could only hear and I couldn't really hear anything. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is going on? Like I felt, it's like, you know, you're in an alien world. Oh yeah, like it's just, yeah, it was completely different. Frank, how does that fit into your the, the theory? Because this feeling of being alien, the, someone has described it as being the X among the O's. Correct, whatever yeah. the differences are, yes. whether it's gender, whether it's yeah. color, whether it's what. But I mean, this is an extreme ex uh, example. It is. How does fact, that work? Yeah, so in fact, what happens there, it's so interesting, I was listening to that. So the body is constantly looking for threats in the environment, right? So that's just, we are wired for survival as human beings. So in a, a, a scenario like that, immediately the body picks it up as I'm threatened and we kick in into often those three areas of either we freeze or we fight or flight. So in other words, the automatic stress response kicks in and we, 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 we feel stressed. So here you are in this world and biologically, when you are standing there by the library, the body is responding, you're under threat here, do something. And I'm keen to, to learn and to, to, for the benefit of our listeners, you know, to understand this change model. What, what, what can you take us through if you, if you can recall that time? I think I was frozen because I, st I stood still there. I, like literally, I stood still with my book, just looking around. And luckily, there was this one lady who came through, um, Tulaniani. She's closer, but she's because she's based in the Western Cape, she was speaking Afrikaans. So she came through and she asked me if I was okay. 
I was like really lucky just that there was this one person out of this sea of white people who just came through. And then I showed her because I couldn't pronounce the name to where I was supposed to go. And she said, actually, we're all going that way. Go went with her to get to the hall. And that's where actually I met people who were like me from Guazulu Natal who were coming to study the same course. And we sat together and then the lecturer started talking. And he went on in Afrikaans. He cracked jokes. You see, when everybody laughs, that, oh, it was a joke. And we only saw when everybody stood up that it was done. And then we walked out. And I remember when we got out, my other colleagues, whom actually I had met then, they were like laughing outside. They're like, you know what, guys? We can't be going anywhere else. Like, if this is what it is. And I think I ended up spending the whole day. I was like, I'm not going to the next one. I'm not understanding what's going on here. So that whole week, because it was orientation, I attended some and I didn't attend some. So it was... Frank, but it also that also means that you cannot learn. Yes. Because your brain closes down. Absolutely. When we are anxious, when we have high levels of stress, again, because the body is trying to protect us to survive our instinct, we don't have the capacity, you know, for the cognition, the thinking required to learn. It's just the brain is saying, but how? You don't have time for this. You need to survive. You can't be learning, right? Now in front of me is, is this foreign land I'm finding myself in. So you can't learn. You feel threatened. You, 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 you're really thinking about, do I, can I be here? Can I make it? Must I go home? Did I make the right choice? Emotions of regret also kick in. Definitely none of this is conducive to learning. It's spot on, Ruda. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. People don't spend a lot of time thinking about financial services. They simply think about the money they need to do things and the things they need to do with money. That's why at Brightrock, we don't think of ourselves as a financial services provider. Rather, we're a money company. In fact, we're the needs-matched money company. Everything we do is about meeting people's changing needs. That's why we created the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And because we want to meet people's changing needs throughout their lives, we set out to learn everything and share everything there is to know about change. We call it change science and you can learn all about it at the change exchange a free resource that's filled with tips tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life you can find more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform just search for change exchange made just for you by brightrock the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is winemaker Nsiki Biela. Nsiki, but you, you came very close to actually giving up. Um, not immediately, but uh, I don't know exactly how long after that. But there was a moment when you thought, no, this is just simply impossible. Look, I knew that it was impossible, but one of the things I knew at the same time was I wasn't going to go back home. <laughs> I, I was like, here's the thing. I was clear that I'm not going back home. Yeah. Because I was like, if I go back home, what am I going to do? I don't understand what's happening here, but at least I need to try and figure it out. 
So going home. So how not, did you how did you approach was not that? A, was not an option for me. <laughs> sure. How did what did you do in practice? When the second year students came came back, then there were more black people who came back. And one of the ladies, it was Pell, I remember she was like she told me about student counseling. So I went to student counseling and I remember that I got to them and I told the lady that who was who was talking to me to say, you know what, I'm going to fail. I know that because I don't understand anything. But you guys need to help me out so that the university doesn't kick me out. So she was like, okay, fine, let's see how we can figure this out. And they asked me if I was willing to do a, there was a bridging program, which was for people when you're coming to the university. And I said to her, no, I don't want to do the bridging program. I want to go straight. I want to do the first year straight one, because if I do the bridging program, that means there are other courses I'm not going to be doing. So I want to do just the straight um the straight course. And she was like, okay, fine. Um, the, Because otherwise it would take an extra year. Exactly. And you didn't want to do that. Yeah. So so then she said, okay, fine. If you What, what you're going to need to do, you're going to need to come and see us every time you're going to have sessions with us. If you attend your sessions, if you happen to fail, we will then write a letter. The university will, will not kick you out. They will give you a second chance. So change is a team sport. And when you have people around you who are supporting you, it's still a daunting journey because you are the person in it. But certainly it becomes a little bit easier. And that's what I'm sensing, you know, what happened for you as you went for those sessions and met friends, I guess. Did you take language lessons in some way or did you just immerse yourself? Well, you were immersed. <laughs> yes, she was already immersed. <laughs> and you just picked it up. Yes. So I think for me, the fact that I knew that then if I fail, the university is not going to kick me out. Okay, now that I've got that option, I need to do as much as possible, give my all in this space without worrying about failing. Because now failing is out of the pictures, like the part of failing has been moved. So I need, I can now just put everything I have into this and see where it, how it goes. And I passed. <laughs> Well, I I failed a few courses courses like everybody else, like two courses and then I passed the rest, which means I'm going to my second year. So I think that that pressure alleviation from the counseling and knowing that the university wasn't going to kick me out because that was my key point. The university is going to kick me out. So knowing that the university wasn't going to kick me out if I fail. So it was like now I need to just focus and put all my energy here. Do you remember a day when you sat in class and you thought, I actually understand what the guy's saying? <laughs> I think it was in my second year. <laughs> second or third year where I, I, like I understood this is what was happening. So we'll have an English book, but the lecturer is lecturing in Afrikaans and the students are having Afrikaans notes. It's like this small, thin book and you've got this thick book that you need to find out where they are. So I think some of the things that we're helping is that there are words that are taken from English to Afrikaans. Yes, yes, so it sounds similar. Because mm. of that, then you could actually follow where they are in class. But also what we did, then we had to ask for tutor classes because you're attending the class, you come out, you're like, I know they are here, but I need to go put everything again in to try and figure out what's happening. Um, but getting tutor class, it helped because then we had to have an extra class. Frank, but it's absolutely your your um, equation. The dissatisfaction, I mean, that remains the same. Strongly. The vision is becoming stronger and stronger. Yeah. And she finds steps to take. First Without steps, a doubt. Yeah. Bec- and the resistance, p- possibly feeling ashamed or whatever, is just 
not even on the table yeah. because it's uh, the the vision is is too important and strong yeah and, strong. and the baby steps are clearly there When I was working at Delheim um, as a student, so I was working at Tasting Room in the vineyards and everywhere else. When I was working with Philip Constantius, he was one winemaker who he could he was struggling with English shame. He was struggling with English. But there was one thing that I, I saw in him. It was the passion of winemaking. And I was like, I want to be like this guy. And I could see how much he wanted to teach me. But he was struggling to pass the information because of the language and all that. Sometimes I could say to him, no, you can speak Afrikaans, I understand. While I actually can just pick up the bits and pieces there and there, but he made me say I wanted to be a winemaker. While at the university, I have Prof. Acha, who the way he was teaching viticulture, I was like, I want to be a viticulturist. So I was like literally like a cat stuck between the milk and, and the meat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But then there was this one winemaker also was working at Delham. I remember I was cleaning bar- barrels that day. And then he said to me, you know, when somebody look at you and they they have a face of concern, concern for you, because obviously he understands the industry, he knows the industry. And he said to me, not everybody will be for you. Just open your eyes and watch out, you know. And it was, I found it very sweet of him, such an amazing guy. And I said to him, I'll be fine, you know. But I could, I could, again, it goes back for me to say sometimes language, is as much as language is an issue, language is not an issue. It's the energy that people, that we exchange. And then there was this one time I went with the general manager at Delheim. He said to me, Nsigi, you're studying winemaking. Come with me. We're going for a wine, to a winemaker seminar. I really got so excited because I was going to a winemaker seminar. I'm studying winemaking until I got there. And it was only white people. I don't know what I was expecting in my mind, but anyways, <laughs> I think when I got them, it's only white people. There's no women. There's only one. Actually, there was one woman registering everyone at the door. And then I was like, at least, at least there's one woman, you know. And she finished registering everyone. She closes her book and she left. And I thought, what the hell? So I said to the general manager, I said, listen, I think we... I can't be here, look, there's only, and he was like, his question was, how are you expecting this to change if you don't want to to get in here? And I was like, I'm not the one who's going to make it change. (laughs) (laughs) And it is, yeah. Except that you were. (laughs) But but then I was like, so, and then we got in and sat, and they went on in Afrikaans and da-da-da-da-da. But again, I was like, damn, this is the industry I'm getting to. And I think there was one moment I got scared because I was thinking of what's happening at the university in my class, that when the lecturer tried to speak English, the students make noise telling them that it's an Afrikaans university. You can't be speaking English. And so the lecturer will then have to speak Afrikaans. And then here I'm coming to this space where it's winemaker seminar. And I'm like, I think I thought the university was hell. I think this is hell times because I don't know what it's going to be, but damn, it looked scary. And Siki, when you you got the job as the main, uh, the chief winemaker at Stalakaya immediately after university, is that right? Yes. So I worked for the first six months, I was the junior winemaker and the consultant. <laughs> I think 
Okay, one of the things, there's a friend of mine now, she used to say, see and be seen. So when I started working, I was like, she said, see and be seen. I was like, I'm going to need to make, one of the things I need to make sure is that I go out there and meet people. But not just meeting people, but they must meet me. That was one of the things that were part of the plan when I go out there. And two, when I go, went out, when I started working, I knew that at some point I'm going to start my own company. I, it was thing, even while I was at Varsity, I knew that I wanted to start my own company. After my grandmother, I had this whole story. <laughs> so, so when I started working, I remember the, the consultant, I was supposed to bottle a wine. And I realized that I tried to, he said, you can call me, I'm going to be on leave, call me. I called, the phone goes on voicemail. I'm scared to bottle the wine because I'm looking at the analysis. It's my first time. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? I went straight and looking at the book and called a winery. I remember I called Niederberg and I called one of the guys um, I had been with. It was Tariro. And then he passed me to his boss. And I was like, I need to bottle. These are the analysis. I need help. You know, and with that, with getting that response and getting that help, for me, it said, oh, the industry is not as bad as I had in my mind. Because now I realize that I can approach people I don't know, talk to them, ask for help and get help. And Ruta, can you see the vulnerability? Asking for help. It's really amazing how you didn't sit back and, you know, let fear or pride or something get in the way of asking for help. No, it's, it's, I think it's unbelievably yeah. brave. Tenacious, right? <laughs> And then you, after the six months, you were appointed as so the head yes. winemaker. Yes. So I had to deal also and with the farmers. What was, what, was, what was that like for you to finally get, or not finally, but to get that acknowledgement? Yeah. I mean, you have been, it was what, four and a half years later. Mm. I wanted and to be an it assistant. It was like unbelievably difficult. And now suddenly Boom. Uh, yeah. you, you actually it's had the name job. and the yeah. office and the big job. When I was looking for a job, I was looking for a job as an assistant winemaker. My reason behind was I need to learn from somebody. And so because also it was my understanding while I was working at Delheim that when you come out of university, you've got all the technicalities, but not the practical experience. And this is a big, this is a big job. When you're making wine, you're dealing with money from the wet go. You're dealing with the vineyards. That's money already. It's not like... It's going to be papers until it gets to be money. It's money from like, mm -hmm. the beginning. <laughs> You're dealing with somebody's money. And so um, I was like, I wanted to be an assistant. And I remember my boss said, no, you're going to have a consultant. So when, after six months, when I was had obviously to be a winemaker, and I was like, he said, no, you can still choose a consultant you want to work with. And there was this one guy that I had uh, where I was, he was making wine for someone else, but in our cellar. And they asked him if he could consult for me. That was Mark Carmichael Green. I was like, and they said, yeah, sure. I can be a consultant. And he literally taught me a lot of stuff. And it was, for me, he was a good consultant because he was a consultant who was available. A consultant who understood that I just got out of varsity. You know, I'll do the wrecking, I'll do everything. And you'll tell me why certain things, they go a certain way. So I literally worked in that way. But also I was making sure again still when there's winemaker seminars, I'll go. Because I need to meet people. I need to make friends in the industry. I need to build these bridges. And yeah, see and be seen. And I did that. Wow, that's so interesting. And I think I just want to also comment, I made a note here that over time your vision became clearer. 
because you said you already knew at some point I want to start my own business and my own brand of wines and to be named after, you know, my granny. It's just so interesting how with time, you know, you were confident, you know, that idea of, of self-efficacy that I spoke about earlier, you know, you now have this confidence. I can meet obstacles, but I overcome them and in time. Is there a point when kind of that clarity came to you to say one day out on my own with a... Uh, uh, you know, a, a brand named after my gogo. So, okay, when I was at Varsity, I knew I was going to start my own company. I didn't know what company was it going to be. But it was clear whatever company it was going to be, it was going to be named after my grandmother. And Siki, I want to ask that the next chapter, you were invited by the US um, government on a, a visit and you met other African women entrepreneurs from Kenya, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, Gambia, Malawi, and seeing, hearing their stories, as I understand it, made you decide that it was actually possible that in South Africa, it was actually, it could be easier than it was for them. How important is that bigger picture that, that you know, that you're not so immersed in your own reality, that, uh, but that you can step back and you can see how other people are experiencing it and, and dealing with it? No, that is very important, actually. Um, so when I went to the States, I, I had already started the company, <laughs> but it was it was still in the like sort of a side side thing. The side the, hustle. Side hustle. Um, because I had spoken with my boss and he was like, no, everyone make a make their own wine so you can do it as long as it doesn't distract you from, you know, your core, your core job. And I was doing those things like after hours and I'll do any paperwork that need to be done. Um, and I think for me, because I knew that I wanted to start the company, it was important that every time after work, I'll think, draw up a map, what I want for my business, how I want my business to be when I was clear what it was. Um, so when I went to the States, then I met these women and they were talking about, I think what struck me the most was the one where they said, they're not allowed to open bank accounts. You cannot have a company because you are a woman. And I was like, what stops me? And there was this one lady who spoke and said, she was American though, she was a speaker. And she said, as long as you know your reason behind why do you want to start your company? And then I had to go back to that question, why did I want to start a company? And then I remembered that. And immediately when I remembered that, I was like, damn, you're being selfish. Uh, because I was thinking about my salary. <laughs> And then I came, I think, again, and then these ladies that were at the, at, at, at the program with me, some of them, then we had this, what do you call it? Um, they called me to have a, a drink together, but it was literally a, I can't remember the word. Networking? No, Networking? It no, it was an intervention. Oh, Wow. <laughs> it was an intervention. Tell us more. Because they were asking me why. It was more like, you have started your business. As a, you're using your business as a side hustle. Why aren't you doing your business? But they didn't. They <laughs> it was did, a, coaching, a coaching session. Yeah. But they didn't ask it like that. They said, Nsigi, you are on drugs. And then I panicked. And I said, guys, I'm not on drugs. And they're like, no, but you are on drugs. And they were like straight face. And they were not... 
beating upon the bushes. And I'm like, guys, if wine is a drug, then yes, I am. But still, I'm not even drinking much. And they're like, <laughs> they said, can you see the fear that we just had when we were saying you're on drugs? They're like, you, because you're getting your salary, you're not focusing on your business. And, so your salary was your drug. <laughs> and so it was, that played a big role really to kick me and push me. So there were so many things that made me actually to finally say, you know, to jump now. That was that. That was the lady who was speaking and saying, what is your reason to, of starting a business? And it was these women realizing their struggles and then coming back to the space of my work and realizing that actually it was starting to be uncomfortable. And then I resigned. Literally, I came back in September. I resigned in November. <laughs> and that was it. And how did you handle the losing the, the drug, losing the salary? Mm. Whew, that was, <laughs> I think, I remember when... Cause did, I had, you, did you have a little, a little something, a, something in a sock? <laughs> I only had 40,000 rand. I only, had, I only had 40,000 rand. I had about 4,000 bottles, I think, 4,500 bottles of wine, plus the 40,000 rand. And this is the wine from your side gig, the yes. four, four and a half thousand bottles. Okay. Yes. But that's not enough, really, to make somebody have food. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So I then, I remember, instead of writing an as resignation email, I wrote an email to my boss and requested a meeting. Because I'm a winemaker, it's November, and I know the harvest is coming up. Okay, I know that as much as you've got it, you've given a month to resign. I was like, it's just not going to be fair. So I said to him, I'm planning my exit. After harvest, I'm going to be leaving. So we need to start now to look for my replacement so that when I leave. And so he was like, okay, uh, what are you going to be doing? So I explained to him and he asked me if I was open to consult. And I said, yeah. <laughs> so I was going to be consulting. So I was like, okay, at least I'm going to have, going to have money to pay my rent. And then the owner of the high road winery, when I told him that I've resigned and I'm starting my own company, and he said to me, what do you need? So it's again now going back to the people that I've built relationships with in the industry. He's like, what do you need? I was like, because that question caught me off guard, really. So I was like, uh, I don't know yet. I've got wine that I need to label and go sell. That's what I know right now. And he said, okay, fine, office space. You can come in and sit here and work in, in, in the space for the office space. And he was like, how much money do you need? And he went straight to the point. <laughs> wow. And I was like... Okay, and then I got really bad, and he's like, no, you'll pay when you can. You're part of the family. And I was like, oh, my word. So I was like, 100,000? And he said, okay, fine, done. And so sure. for me, those were, again, building those relationships. Yes. And I mean, and that's social support. That's social and, support. It's really yeah. consistent, you know, in the story. And I think what's so interesting, we must highlight it for our listeners, it's you were deliberate about it. You know, you were deliberate about building bridges. You were deliberate about building networks. Even the way you thought about your resignation, that also talks to how relationships are important to you. Boss, I need to see you because, you know, this is, I know it's going to have devastating impact, you know, to just exit. So there is something kind of in your story real around deliberate building of bridges. And then, like we've seen in all our stories, Ruda, they are just those people who come at the right time and they help you navigate change.
We created the Change Exchange because at Brightrock we love change and we wanted to know and share everything there is to know about change and how it impacts our lives. We call it Change Science. Change Science shows that everyone can get better at navigating change and that in all moments of change there's always opportunity. To learn more about Change Science visit the Change Exchange, our free resource that's filled with tips, tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. Just like the stories in this podcast, you can find many more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is winemaker Nsiki Biela. But what strikes me also, the university, the white winemakers, um, the older white uh, generation. Uh, the system. It, it, this system. Yeah. It, it would have <laughs> been so easy to cast them as the enemy and to go into fight mode. Yeah. But you never did that. You you saw them as this is the field in which I want to work. These are the people. I will build bridges. I will make connections. That is completely astonishing. I think, again, talking about the being deliberate, while there were no words to put it what it was, it was just a thought in my mind. I need to do it this way. I need to do it that way. I must go this path. So, yeah. yeah. And it's the next step every time. Yes, yes, yes. So I did that, and when I needed to buy bottles, I remember I went to the company that sells bottles that I had been buying bottles from. I sat down with the owner and I said, listen, it was um, African seller suppliers. I said, listen, I need to buy so many bottles, but financially I can't afford to pay you now. I was like, I can pay you in the next four months. And I showed him, I've got an order, this and this and this. And he was like, that's fine, I'll give it to you. While I was working at Stedekaya, I was dealing with them. And I was honest. When we cannot pay them, I was never saying we're going to pay you. I was like, no, listen, we don't have money right now. But there's going to be somebody paying at that time. Just wait for, I know we're on 60, we're on 90 days now. But give me another month. I'm going to get make sure you get paid at this month. You know, I was, I realized that for me, honesty was, again, the key, especially with the suppliers. Because they knew when I but say... Also in Siki- it wasn't also just honesty. I think, you know, for our listeners, when we deal with it, it's often tempting to just say I'm on my own. But the way you ask for help is just unbelievable. I mean, you're talking, people would feel, but you've just started a business. It's embarrassing to tell people you don't have money to buy bottles. But you're saying <laughs> it just came naturally to you. You ask for help and boom, a solution was put on the table. So there's really a theme of, change is not a it's a team sport yes and and for our listeners it's important to be willing to be vulnerable or you know not necessarily using the big word vulnerable to just ask for help to tell people what's going on in your life and where they can assist you if they can also i think while i was working at stella because i was involved with pinotash youth development academy from 2012 just close to my resignation um and they Chairperson and his wife of the PYDA, they became my mentors. So when I was resigning, I now have mentors 
as I'm starting my business, as I'm getting full on with my business. So that was again another part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really built a, a network constantly. I want to touch on one other thing before we end this conversation. And that is when you make such a radical change in your life. You said to me in our previous conversation that you now live in two worlds. In the one, you're on your high heels in the most sophisticated of environments with your glass of wine, and you're probably speaking mostly English. You've also spent time <laughs> in France. I don't know how much French you've picked up, etc., etc. And then you go home, and you sit on the on the ground with your granny, and you shuck mealies. How does one work with that? I was thinking of that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Let's hear yeah. from Siki. Because you're now in, in two completely different worlds. Yeah. It's about how you look at it, I think. Because for me, that mm-hmm. is the space that fills my soul. When I go home mm. um, with family. Um, just example, when I was at, during lockdown, because lockdown caught me when I was at home. And... I went with my friends and cousins who went to fetch wood in the forest. Samba Sotez. And for me, that was, it was grounding me. Like, when I go home, it's a place of grounding. That's just, that's that. It's a place of grounding. It's a place for me that makes me feel fulfilled. While on this side, it's a place of work. I need to be in a certain way. And you don't feel the need to mix the two, to bridge the two. You can have them separate, and that's fine. That's actually good. Well, I talked to my cousins. Um, by the way, my grandmother is late. so But I talked to my cousins and my, and my sisters about business. We do discuss business. How, not about the winemaking business, but business in general. But what is it that needs to be done? How can we move? How can we, you know... How can we do something extra at home? Is there something can, that can be done? You know, we have those discussions there and there, sporadic. How can we make it better financially so that we can be able to have something to sustain us? So that's the part. Frank, a word in in summary. Uh, I think for me, you know, we've listened to so many of these stories. I think what stood out for me is, the, is three things. I think it's the... Vision that was a little bit blurry became very clear and perhaps even forceful in time. That's number one. And that is needed for change because then you can handle change. I think the second one is just how deliberate you were in seeking social support or in other words, building bridges and connecting uh, with other people. I think lastly, it's interesting how you balance both worlds because it almost sounds to me like you're saying, you know, the, the other words grounds you, the other words connects you, reminds you of who you are, where did you come from, but also the things you still want to want to achieve. So definitely, you know, I I I I, I sense you're quite comfortable, you know, with change, and uh, you you have demonstrated it, and you not um what's the word. You're not content in terms of uh, whatever the future holds. I think if a strong vision that you that you hold on to that helps you navigate change better. And Ziki, thank you so much. Uh, we've uh, we've come to the end of of today's conversation. I do hope we come across each other again. And uh, for our for our listeners, Ziki Biela from Aslina Wines, which is sold now literally from Japan to the U.S. 
and uh, she's promised us that she will start marketing more in uh, local markets as well. So oh, you may see them soon. And uh, Siki, all of the very, very best. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Uh, thank you for giving us the time to talk to you. Yes, and sharing so openly. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I and, didn't know uh, that there's this mathematical thing behind <laughs> this whole thing. Uh, I hope, Dr. McGregor, you won't mind because probably I'll have to drop you an email just about this mathematical information. I really like ah, I, please. I, I feel like I've got so many things I need to ask on this whole thing. Um, happy yeah. we can connect and carry on the dialogue yes no i'm <laughs> like you. i'm intrigued thank you for your kind words yeah to our listeners uh, thank you for spending time with us um this is part of a series of podcasts called change in one generation do listen to the other ones the stories are really wonderful and inspiring go well until uh, next time <laughs> <laughs>